0: Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of this podcast, you already know the 50-year mission is definitive oral history of Star Trek, and Secrets of the Force will tell you everything you want to know about the history of Star Wars, but what you probably don't know is Ed Gross and I have a new book coming out this July, They Shouldn't Have Killed This Dog, The Complete Uncensored, Ass-Kicking Oral History of John Wick, Gun Fu, and the New Age of Action, coming from St. Martin's in hardcover, digital, and audio. You can order it today. the 430 movie. The 430 movie podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free electric now app. Download it today. Best movies never made as featured in entertainment weekly is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free electric now app.
3: In space, there is no beginning and no end. But in one uncharted corner of our galaxy is a corridor to another world. A nexus where time and space collide. Past and future connect. And two generations will meet to join forces in a battle to save the universe i take it the odds are against us and the situation is grim you could say that sounds like fun warp one engage let's go (laughs) talk at their bridge fool disruptors
1: make it quick
0: Hey, this is Mark A. Altman
1: And this is Darren Docterman, And we are the inglorious experts.
0: And have we got a show for you today I can't decide what we should call it Should we call it Kirk Out? Just horsing around? I think we teeth to of call the predator? It,
1: I think we ought to call it The 24th Century Isn't So Tough
0: mm, I think that's pretty good so It <laughs> was fun So anyway, if you haven't guessed by now, this is a show about Star Trek 7, otherwise known as Generations. Um, And we have two great guests. As always, we have honorary, well, not honorary, Trexpert, Trexpert, Humbert, Humbert, uh, (laughs) Mr. uh, Ashley Edward Miller. You know him as the showrunner of Dota Dragon's Blood, a writer and producer for Sir Joseph's Black Sails, the writer of Thor and X-Men First Class. And uh, he's back here on the Trexpert. So welcome back, Ash. Thank you. It's good to be back. You know and him as the four-time winner of the circus in Rome. <laughs> <laughs> and joining us for the first time, for the first time here on the Trekspers, Um, he was formerly of the Futon Critic. You may know him from the Futon Critic. He's been a writer for such shows as Arrow and God Friended Me. And um, he's a huge fan, huge fan of Star Trek Generations. Now, um, he cast us and we shall have him because... Uh, yeah, there's some other people in the show who aren't as big fans of Generations, let's just say. So Brian actually approached us. It was actually at the ball. No, We've known writer. Brian for a while. We like Brian, great, talented writer, critic. And uh, he said, listen, I know you guys aren't necessarily huge fans of Generations. I want to tell you why I think it's great. I said, okay, well, this is a show about celebrating the love. So even if it's not our love... Much like the Ewoks, we want to celebrate the love. And we're going to let Brian extol the virtues of this movie, which many of you love. It's like all you people out there who talk about how great License to Kill is and a view to a kill. I'm talking to you, Jonathan Wilkins. You know, these are terrible movies that you love. So we're going to let uh, Brian tell us why he loves
4: Generations. And maybe you'll agree with him. You might. But before Besides, we do that, this noose is a little, little tight around my neck that you're, you're putting me out. No, we're no. just, we're That's just, your we're just kidding.
0: obedience. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to see how many people we can get on Twitter to say how awful we are, what awful right. people we are for, for saying nasty things about people who worked really hard and got really <laughs> well paid to do this stuff. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Okay. Uh, but before we do that, I, I, Darren, I got, I got, a, you know, uh, Darren and I are going to talk to in Italian for a second. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I got to say, there's a lot of excitement about a new show on Paramount+. Plus, and I know a lot of people would be really upset if we didn't talk about it today on The Trexperts. It has an amazing right. cast. Amazing cast. It's a huge part of Paramount history. And it's called I called The know. Offer. It's called The Offer. I want to talk about The Offer for a second. So, okay. because I'm, I'm sure you're wondering what Darren and I thought about The Offer. Um, <laughs> I, It's an offer I almost refused after the first three episodes, I must say. But I, I'm enjoying it in the way that you enjoy really bad kitschy television. I, I
1: completely am on the same page. Uh, I I I I think I uh, I posted that it seemed like one of the high school plays from
0: Rushmore. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. Right where they did Apocalypse Now. Yeah 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's. It's, they're
1: trying really hard. They really are. I don't think Al Ruddy remembers everything so well as he says he does.
0: Oh, are you kidding? Peter Barton <laughs> Deadline, I love what he says. None of this happened. No, yes. I mean this is bigger science fiction and other things on the network. Yeah. And um, uh, you know, anyone who knows the story of The Godfather, who's followed this, who's heard, you know, Coppola and 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 Gary Fredrickson and uh, uh, Al Pacino, just everyone who's been involved. Uh, you know, the fact that it ends—I'm not giving anything away. The first episode ends with him being shot at. By uh, Meyer Lansky's uh, people on behalf of Joe Colombo. Ridiculous! Never happened. It's crazy. And a man in his position can't afford to be made to look ridiculous. Exactly. And I'm, I have a feeling from the look on uh, Mr. Sullivan's face, he's seen uh, a couple episodes of the show as well.
4: Yes, you're 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 not wrong in your assessment. It, it's it feels like. You know, like, those old, like, 80s and 90s, like, movies of the week where they, like, were telling you the story of, like, this is how Dynasty became a big show. And there's, like, these, like, awkward, like, the whole leave the cannoli scene that opens it. It's like, this is where it came from, guys. And it's like, okay. I can top that. You know what I think it's like? You know those each true specials? Like,
0: this is how they made Star Wars. And then they do the reenactments, like, the little reenactments. with like You know, and it's like, that's what this is. It's the story of the making of a Hollywood classic. (laughs) They made us an offer we couldn't refuse. It's Paramount's Oscar award winning, The Godfather. And then, you know, they have like a bunch of people like in these reenactments doing their, you know, typing and stuff. And it's like, it's so funny. I mean, it's like all of a sudden, because Juno Temple is playing uh, Al Ruddy's um, assistant, she's the key to the whole thing. All the the women are the key to everything in it. Because you know, rather uh, than actually depict 70s Hollywood the way it really was,
1: Mario Puzo's wife is saying, Well, why don't you just write a, a story about, I don't know, the mafia? <laughs> what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this, this is not what happened, no, folks.
4: It's, it's not what happened. Look,
1: so it, but I have to say that the one sparkling diamond is Matthew the, Good is the, Matthew Good playing Robert Evans. Holy cow. He's he is so like, good. He's so good.
0: It's almost like being there. Why Good is so good. Why yeah. they didn't show is great. it from Evan's perspective, which is always a hoot, probably because no one would believe it or it would be so offensive to millennials, yeah. you know, that yeah. this happened. And we have to pretend like it never happened. But it did, yeah. you know, and it's such a great story. Um, and he's so terrific. And you know, I have to say, Giovanni Rabisi, I think, is actually pretty good as Joe Colombo.
4: You don't you like
1: you know, I, I I can't go there. He's he's just playing it uh cartoony as hell. Uh you know, all the all the you know the poor good fellas in this are really caricaturized. I mean, I think yeah. if 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 the uh, if organized crime had known about this production, they would want this one
0: shut down rather than the original. <laughs> and, and for Star Trek fans, you can play a little game. It's called what episode of Star Trek did they shoot on the Paramount lot where this is being filmed? Right. So it's exactly. oh, that's the Chancellery from Patterns of Forest. Oh, that's future a uh, future tense uh, from Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Uh, and that's you know, it's like it, it, it's it's like ninety percent of it is shot in the background. And the the funny thing is, The Godfather, of course, is is renowned for. Gordon Willis's brilliant cinematography. This thing, it looks like an after-school special. Well, I, I mean, it does. They're trying. They're trying.
1: Uh, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's such a, it, it's such a lame shot. Uh, Don't get me but, wrong. But what it does make me think about is how good would a mini-series about the making of Star Trek the Motion Picture be?
0: Like, absolutely. There's no reason for that not to happen. And that can be done just as half-assed as this. <laughs> okay, so this is, we're going a little <laughs> off topic. This is going a little, okay, off, see, we have, brought it back to start. We got the futon <laughs> critic here. So uh, before I <laughs> ask my question, I just want to say, so look, if you haven't watched the show, you should watch it. This is really fun. It's fun in the way the Oscar is fun. It's not Elvis. good. Almost, but yeah. it, but it's really entertaining because it's so in its mediocrity. Okay, so my question <laughs> for you, Brian, is <laughs> who would you mediocrity.
4: have? Let's pivot to. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> not
0: what I'm saying. That's not what that transition was <laughs> all about. Um, wh- who would you cast as Gr for um, for uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture on Paramount Plus? The Offer. <sighs> <laughs> it would be a know. series. That right? <sighs> that's tough. It's a tough
1: one. It's a real tough one.
4: The Voyage. I, I no. mean, can they just like have Darren do his voice and then just like CGI him? <laughs> do it <Yeah>. like the real <laughs> footage? That's what they're going to do. Come on. We could do it's better the, than it's that. It's the Muppet
0: making of Star Trek, the motion picture. Um, what about you, Darren? What do you think? Who
1: played GR? You know, who's that actor in Stranger Things who plays the, uh,
0: the cop? Oh, David Harbour. He could do yeah, it. David awesome. Harbour might be able to yes, do that. And we'll find out that Susan Sackett was the real genius behind Star Trek. Well, we know that. Right. <laughs> and I love Susan. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But that's the story they will tell. Yeah. It's like, you know, but okay. This brings us to a very sad thing. <laughs> very sad thing today. Uh, this week, um, right. um, Harold Livingston passed away. For those of you who don't know, Harold Livingston was the um, writer of Star Trek The Motion Picture. Um, and he also was one of the founders of the Israeli Air Force. He was a novelist. He wrote for Mission Impossible. He wrote for Leisure. Harold was a really interesting guy. He never really came to terms with his short-lived association with Star Trek. He had been hired to run Phase 2. And then when Phase 2 became Phase 3, Star Trek The Virgin Picture, he stayed with it. And he kept quitting because him and Gene Rodney hated each other. And um, he kept getting hired back. They kept throwing more money at him. He'd come back right. and he would fight more with GR. And, you know, it culminated in the famous when it was shooting. You know, Harold Livingston would do a rewrite. And then an hour later on the stage, new colors would come out. Gene Roddenberry and then Harold would now, rewrite Gene. This would all happen you know, over the course of a day. The best the best Star Trek episodes have
1: no villain in them. They have antagonists. Yes. And <laughs> Harold Livingston
0: was the antagonist. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, that, that, that is absolutely true. And it's so funny because Harold Livingston hated Star Trek, hated mm-hmm. talk about it, hated Star Trek, hated the fact that, you know, it was going to be on his tombstone. And so in the ultimate irony, every freaking obituary that ran over the last week is like, the writer of Star Trek, the motion picture has passed away. I feel terrible for him. It got it. It's got to really gall him because he's done so many great things in his life. Oh, really more. funny, really acerbic. You know, not in an assholely way like me. He's a really kind of um, just sarcastic and funny. And um, he, when he got on a roll about telling Star Trek stories, there was nobody better. And uh, I love the story he tells about how he was hired to, to take over Fantasy Islands as the showrunner. This is television in a nutshell. ABC is convinced Fantasy Islands can be a disaster. So they hire Harold Livingston to come in. Aaron Spelling brings him in. So apparently the ratings come in. It's huge. Absolutely huge fantasy island. So next day, Harrison, uh, Harold Livingston comes in. They haven't told the showman. He can't find his parking spot. All his stuff from his office is in boxes in front of the bungalow. They've moved him out. I, 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 he, he's like unceremoniously fired before he even gets to really start. Because now that it was so successful, they're keeping the original guy. Yeah. So <laughs> and now he's So he goes to Aaron Spelling, who who finally he gets a hold of Aaron. And he says, "What the hell?" He says, "Well, we you know we had to ABC. I mean, it's like uh, you know they didn't want to get rid of him anymore. The thing was a huge hit. How could they fire him and bring you in?" And he says, "He says, but well, this is rich. I had a job. I mean, I had an office. I had a parking spot. Not anymore. You don't. But um, what they did was they he basically said." I promise I will give you something else, you know? And eventually he he did make good on that. He gave him another show uh, to run. But I mean, that that's that's the story they should be back That's in. Hollywood. Why didn't they just text him? Yeah, well, you see, <laughs> Ashley, back in the before time. Oh, when everything was just black and white? That's correct. Oh. I, I, yeah, I know. We got to educate Ashley here on that. But in all cases, you, know, okay, so, I, you <laughs> know, Harold was a really smart, interesting guy who just never got Star Trek. You know, I end the 50 year mission, my two volume best-selling series of books about Star Trek with a quote from Harold Livingston, who said, I never got Star Trek. I never will. I never got the cultishness. I think all Star Trek fans are nuts. And that's the way, you know, after everyone's talking about how life-changing and how great it is, you know, he's the one who says, I've never forgiven the Klingons. I've never forgiven the Klingons for the death of my boy. So anyway, (laughs) if I had a, a glass of uh, wine or, or champagne, I, I, a toast to uh, the late, great Harold Livingston. You were truly one of a kind. And Cheers. to steal a phrase, there is no comparison. So, OK, speaking of something there is a comparison for, we're going to go to generations. Now, this is a movie. This is a movie. Let's, let's just put it in um, the time that it came out. What year did this movie come out, uh, Brian?
4: 94, I believe, yeah.
0: OK, and this was made just for those young'ums not that we have a lot of youngs listening to the show <laughs> for some reason, um, but uh, this uh, we have a lot of other people, just not ums. So, uh, so um, this was made on the heels of Next Generation. They had just finished shooting yeah. all good things, okay, and they got off a week, a week, and then they were off filming Generations. Right. So it was like no break, no turnaround. This was 10 years after the show was canceled. This was 10 days <laughs> after the show was over. It's really weird. And I, I remember, and I'll tell you, I don't know if you were on the set, you may be too young, but I was on the set of All Good Things and obviously Generations. And I remember how tired they were because this is the day of 26 episode seasons. Right. So, you know, normally you're exhausted at the end of a 10 episode The end of 26 you're ready to kill yourself. I mean, it's so exhausting. And particularly for top of show like Patrick Stewart, who not only um, had had no break over Christmas, but he'd done a Christmas carol, you know, his one man show. He was about to he played again. all the parts. And then um, he uh, he directed an episode um, uh, right before. And then he's in virtually every scene of All Good Things. So they were he he was moody. Um, and 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 everyone was exhausted, and a lot of the cast had just gotten the script, and they were pissed off because a lot of them had nothing to do in the movie. I mean, virtually nothing. I'm, I'm not. This is not the cast dispersions on the movie yet. It's just to set up the situation that was going on at the time. So the movie goes right into production. They actually, you know, had left the, you know, some of the same sets. Many other sets were just kind of redressed and made better for motion pictures. Um, and so that is the world in which production commenced on Star Trek Generations, produced by the same team that did the TV series, produced by Rick Berman, written by Ron Moore and, and Brandon Braga, two very talented young writers who'd never done a feature, but had been on Star Trek for many years. Um, and, and this is where we pick up our story. So, um, <laughs> uh, so, Brian... This is a movie you really like. Um, where do you put it in the uh, pantheon of Star Trek?
4: Uh, I mean, that's that's sort of that's a, a little bit of a leading question. I think it's it's hard to, in the context of what the like the TNG movies, I, I think you know it's 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 you know obviously number two because everyone loves you know first contact considered the best of the TNG movies, and I think it's just it's I, I can't quite in my head go. This is better or worse than than Khan or, or 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 Star Trek Four, or like it just it feels like just different worlds to me. I, I don't know it, it, it just never I never rank them in my head like that
1: right yeah, I, I kind of think the exact same way they, they're It's like apples and oranges, they're two different
0: things, and they shouldn't be compared. yeah, but if we were going to rank it, it's funny because we were are you saying it, there I mean, is no <laughs> comparison because yeah. <laughs> If we we're going to rank it in the next generation, mm-hmm. uh, let's separate the original, right? Let's just say this. We're going to rank these again. The funny thing is I would agree with you. It's probably the second yeah. best of the uh, next generations yeah. um, because Nemesis is a, a train wreck right. and Insurrection is um, what's what's not as bad as a train wreck, but still a wreck. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> it's a, train orange, wreck it it's a fender bender
2: in traffic.
0: I don't know. It's more like a monorail wreck or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, so so you tell us the situation, where you were in your life, uh, sure. what you remember about seeing it, uh, that that first experience.
4: Well, I mean, I'm probably a tiny bit younger than you guys. So, like, I never saw the original series. I never saw, I never grew up on the repeats of, of TOS. And so, like, I, I picked up on Next Generation because, was, you know, latchkey kid, you know, watching every, you know, every night on WPWR Channel 50 in Chicago. They would show Next Gen at 6 o'clock. And that was my way of of, of interest in the show. And I, not the only like vivid memory is Best of Both Worlds, like being just that sort of delineating, just remembering where I was. Sort of like that was the moment where I was like this is my show. And ever since then, I've been a huge fan. And then I've had to look backward to sort of get to know. You know, I've, I have like vague memories of seeing the you know, Voyage Home in the theater because who didn't see that movie in theater if you were of a certain age? But it was always Next Gen was was like my guys. That was like my and not just because Patrick and I share a certain look. Um, it was just, I, I they were my, you know, th- those were the guys I fell in love with. And to sure. see them on the big screen, this was like the event for me. This was like, and in a lot of ways, I think the movie feels like the show, but bigger. And, you know, it, it looks magnificent. You know, obviously, John Alonso did an amazing job from, from from shooting it. And I think, you know, David Carson already as an episodic director is amazing. And, you know, you guys work in, in TV, you know how hard it is to make Episodic TV look cool and like have unique flourishes to it, and everything he does in you know Next Generation and ds DSI, especially you know look at like emissary, just like on a four by three screen and do what he does in terms of framing shots and, and sort of blocking scenes, just really just truly fantastic. And 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 there's an energy and, and a liveliness to this movie that they bring to it that feels just amazing to me. That I, I get so exhilarated by it every time I see it, just because it it, it just hits home in, in a way that's you know, I, I can't equate because I, I wasn't there, like any of you guys talks about, oh, like when, the first time you see the Enterprise in the motion picture, like the feeling of, oh my God, we get to finally see the Enterprise in all of its glory. And for me, it's just seeing the D, you know, getting bathed in, in that, the sun, all the sun, and, and just, oh, just, that's my my fanboy. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, <laughs> I, I, I
0: think that's great. And look, you know, we don't have anybody to have your back, so I don't want to be, I, I don't want to be disrespectful to guests, but I, I'll tell you what my experience was. And I want to hear what Ashley and Darren have to say. Um, I, I do want to say that, you know, I remember um, I was very excited about the movie, obviously, because it was um, going to be bringing Kirk back to the big screen, you know, with um, the return of William Shatner after Star Trek VI. So that was very, you know, exciting. Um, I had gotten tickets to the actual, what was the world premiere at Paramount, because um, at the, it was going to benefit my alma mater. So I'm like, oh, Star Trek and my alma mater, what a perfect combination. Um, so i I don't remember how much the tickets were. they were very expensive, but then, of course, I got invited to a screening a couple of days before. so who am I not to go to that screening and i I, I don't know, if, Darren, were you at that screening with me? we did not know you yet.
1: not quite yet
0: right yeah, so we we didn't uh, go to that together. as I Rob have, Burnett I have other will, stories about it, but you go on. as Rob Burnett will attest because he he was there um and Steve Melching um so we go and we start watching the movie. And I'm literally like, oh. I mean, it was, I, I i was like, just horrified throughout the movie. And I, I remember we got out and I was just, I hadn't been that angry since the Phantom Menace um, at, at, a, at a movie taking something that I absolutely loved. And I, I felt like completely missing everything about it that was special. Um, and then I had to go see it a couple of days later. It was awful but Mark the Phantom Menace was seven years away yeah, I know. That's crazy. It all blends <laughs> together. It must be the Nexus, the way that time blends. You know, it's funny because I feel like the best movies only get better upon multiple viewings. You know, films like Star Trek The Motion Picture, Trek 2 or Trek 4, First Contact. Those are movies that get better the more I watch them. Generations, in my opinion, does not. It's more like Nemesis, which, you know, you always, you know, hope a, a movie will improve like a fine wine instead of having <laughs> the stink of rotten and curdled milk like uh, Generation does upon multiple viewings. But I, you know, I should really... I, this is where <laughs> I should stop
4: because it, you know, um, one, this I, I want to leave you. I would we, say though, just put it on its, put it on its feet a little bit. Like, give me like three reasons why it's such a catastrophe. I want to let these guys talk
0: okay. about it. And then uh, I, I, I do have to have the caveat, you know, I, I pissed off a lot of people when I went after this movie because I felt it was a personal affront to me <laughs> at the time. God. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I I was pretty friendly with Ron and Brandon, a lot of the writers and stuff. And I'd always been a big advocate for taking next generation seriously. I was a big champion of next gen. Um, this is before you know Vanity Fair was covering this stuff and entertainment weekly was you know, so I was covering it Incinero Fantastic and taking it very seriously and getting a lot of time. so I think a lot of people felt really betrayed when I hated so much, but it was funny because I felt betrayed. The irony is they now feel more like I do about it than at the time. Um, but you know. <laughs> And it was funny because then we did free enterprise a couple of years later. And I remember that was like, that was, I hadn't talked to Ron a couple of years. He sent me the bottle of Dom Perignon, you know, it was like sort of bury the hatchet. And, and I remember Michael, you know, was it piled. floating? <laughs> yeah, That's <laughs> funny. I think you wanted to smash it in my head there for a while. But anyway, okay. Let's, let's talk about you, Darren. What was your experience with um, Generations?
1: Well, my experience with Generations was that I had been doing this local radio show in Los Angeles for several years. And we had gone, we had just gone uh, sort of nationwide on the cable radio network, which who the hell knows who got that. Um, But we had we had a bunch of listeners and we would uh, it was called Talk Trek and we would talk Trek every week. And uh, this, uh, you know, Generations was a big deal. Uh, and we had uh, we had a couple different, uh, you know, sort of live broadcasts from the uh, from the Jack in the Box across from the uh, uh, the uh, Arclight Theater. Um, and uh, we uh, basically were having a big celebration over the whole thing. And uh, we were very excited about it we're, we didn't know much about what the story was, although we'd heard some rumblings. Uh, but we knew that Shatner was in it, and uh, it was the uh, big handoff we called it. Um, and when I saw it, I didn't—I I wasn't as personally attacked as apparently you were, Mark. But uh, it felt extremely half-assed to me. Uh, it was—it uh, was not a good uh, original series story. It was not a good next-generation story to me, and that I think that uh, the uh, the way they had told the story was so hemmed in by what they thought they needed to do for uh, all the story needs that it uh, it didn't seem like it was uh, important at all. Any part of the story didn't really make any sense. The uh, the nexus was this thing that uh, was sort of uh, explained but sort of not. And and uh, the the plan that Soren had was. Ludicrous and uh, and poor Captain Kirk was dropped in the middle of this thing, and uh, he basically had nothing to do but get shot in the back or later get killed in the in the front way. but uh, the the, <laughs> the thing <favorite> was thing. <laughs> <laughs> the thing was that it wasn't doing anything good for either of the casts. Uh, the poor next generation people were sort of uh, caught in a complex story that made no sense and just sort of had guest stars popping in to torture Jordy And, and
0: uh, you know, not that that wasn't fun, uh, but uh, <laughs> can I just say in- one thing about, since you, before I forget, since you mentioned yeah. the torturing Jordy. there's this yeah. line where Sauron says about Jordy um, his hot just wasn't in it. Right. And you're like, what the hell is that? It's a reference to a scene that Man, they deleted where yeah. they kept starting and stopping his heart, which was a deleted scene. But they keep the punchline in, which makes yeah. no sense. It's an, it's, it represents there's the no entire setup, but there's laziness the of this movie. I mean, it's ridiculous. Anyway, go on. Sorry. I and, get very upset know, about this film. <laughs> the The big thing about it
1: is, for me, as a, as a TOS fan, is that it's completely non consideration of the character of kirk kirk in the nexus is not kirk he's he's shatner and it's just shatner hanging around chopping wood playing with the dogs cooking um, cooking he's cooking like with a pan and fire it's, though you just <laughs> pitched a great
2: movie where picard goes looking for kirk to help him but all he can find is shatner right, right? <laughs> so you have to bring shatner
1: into the 24th century to do a cooking show to do a
2: cooking show Sorry.
1: But the same thing with Picard. Uh, It has it has Picard wanting to be a family man. No, he doesn't. (laughs) He doesn't at all. From the first episode of Next Generation, he says, I'm not a family man, Riker. He (laughs) says it. (laughs) And and the, the Nexus is a lie. And why they don't point that out, why that isn't an impetus to get them out of the Nexus, I don't know why. Um, but the 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 way that everything happens is so it, it's so sad and, and lame brained
0: okay. and it's not worthy of them. Listen, I'm I the worthy next generation. Okay, but I, I, like, we invited worthy. Brian here to talk about again I'm why sorry. this movie's great. So I think before, it's a great but, subject,
4: I, I see. Two for two. But before we do that, I, I just me. want
0: <laughs> I, I want to to talk about his experience, you know, leading into generations and how he experienced it seeing it for the first time. Okay.
2: Um, so uh, what I need everyone to understand is uh, that it was a different time uh, in terms of our information relationship with entertainment. Uh, we didn't have an internet. We'd have to worry about like going onto Twitter, scrolling through, and then suddenly there are Dr. Strange spoilers, which I haven't seen um, you know, that wasn't a thing. You, you know, there weren't reports from the set. There was none of that stuff, right? That's, so that's what you got was uh, was either Richard Arnold, like, dropping dime on people, like, at a at a convention somewhere, you know, or, you know, it's you open up, like, the freak, and I'm not making this up. The, the National Enquirer had a whole thing, right? That was like, here's what the movie's about. It was like a whole kind of write-up. And, of course, I bought it and I read it. And I was like, nah
1: not be. That can't be it.
2: <laughs> can't, it's the National Enquirer. <laughs> it's like, oh, what's the look? There's belongs in the circus right next to the dog faced boy. No, no, no. That's not it. Um, there were other things that I saw. So as I was building my excitement and my anticipation, because look, I'm a I am ai love the next generation. Obviously, I love Deep Space Nine more, but like, but I love the next generation. I love those characters. I love Picard. This is a guy who grew on me from like surrendering like eight fucking times in the first season, you know, to being kind of a badass, like once, you know, he grew into what that character needed to be. So I was excited. You know, I got the uh, the, the toys, right, that were released beforehand. They had a completely different uniform they had designed for the movie, but then never actually used. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. That's nifty. I was really, I, I liked some of the um, the stills that I saw in magazines, right? I liked how the bridge was shot. I thought that looked pretty nifty. I was
4: very excited, um, and then, then I then I saw the movie. So, oh, oh, oh,
2: I will say one more thing that I was excited about is, in fact, David Carson, who I do think is an excellent television director, um, and I, I do, th- and I when I say excellent, I truly mean it because um, I think that that visually speaking, he made the most out of. Um, out of a lot of limitations, to uh, to a degree, I think that only um, you know Rob Bowman may have achieved visually, like at least with the the next generation. Although we see how Rob Bowman's um, feature career turned out, um, which is not casting aspersions on him. It's just that they're completely different muscles, I think, sometimes. Um, and in the Deep Space Nine pilot, I believe David Carson directed Emissary. Uh, there were some amazing performances in that, uh, from Avery Brooks, right? So all kinds of reasons to be excited. Ron and Brandon are writing the script, all kinds of reasons to be excited. And then here's what I got. So the thing that I liken the experience to the most is I went to that movie expecting to see, um, you know, uh, high planes drifter, um, or, um, you know, uh, for a few dollars more, right? Uh, or Once Upon a Time in the West. And what I got... Why do you think it was Ted- going to be a Western? No, well, no, no, no. But here's the example. Because that was like, oh, it's like it's Clint Eastwood making this interesting movie. It's going to be super cool. You know? Or here's Sergio Leone making like this amazing... Instead, what we got was Ted Post's Hang 'Em High, mm. Right? So like, if, you're, mm. if, you, if you dig Westerns, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. It's like, okay. So that happened. Like, Ted Post, journeyman director, makes a movie that's a really happens. good
0: analogy. I, I, you know, I should have just trusted you to get where you were going because that's <laughs> a really, that's a really great point. I do want to say, and I'll let you continue that. Sure. Yeah. I think the, the David Carson, as you mentioned, a directed emissary, the Deep Space Nine pilot, which was a movie in terms mm-hmm. of the budget and the ambitiousness of a two hour. Um, He had done a lot of the best episodes like yesterday's Enterprise. So he seemed like a good choice. Yeah. Um, although um, if you look at um, the original Star Trek movies, you had Robert Wise, who was a, a veteran a feature film, a director of some of the greatest movies ever made. You had Nick Meyer, who was a brilliant writer and who had directed a very ambitious, cool little sci-fi movie time after time. And then you had a cast member, you know, later on who was probably the least at two cast members. Um, and uh, So it, 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 you know, it, we were at the point now we we're bringing a TV director. So we've been the equivalent of like bringing like Ralph Sineski or Mark Daniels or somebody, Vincent McEvoy to come and direct.
2: Right. I, I, exactly. Mac- it's McAvee. like
0: McAvee. It's it's um McEvity. <laughs> it's,
2: it's it's a little bit. As another example, it's the 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 Dalton era, the very brief era of John um, Glenn. Yeah. Exactly. It's like. The, the material wanted to be, wanted to move ahead in a way, but the what was happening kind of on the set and just how it was sort of conceived and executed was kind of mired in a completely different way of doing things that didn't really service that, and you needed a Martin Campbell to come in and, and break it up.
0: But Brian um, makes a great point. He, they did, to protect David, they brought in an amazing DP, John Alonzo. John Alonzo, yep. who, by the way, I think, like, very often shot
2: a beautiful movie now there were times when i thought that actually like i i i didn't dig um how like it was actually um it was very sort of self-conscious of itself like like there are things like like um like when data has his 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 breakdown when the chip stops working let's not even get into the fucking motion chip gentlemen
3: something new from focus three what i believe this beverage has produced an emotional response really what are you feeling i am uncertain because i have had little experience with emotion i am unable to articulate the sensation emotion i'll explain later oh it looks like he hates it yes that is it. I hate this, Dana, I think
4: the chip is working. Oh yes, I hate this. It is revolting.
2: More, please. But like, but that to me was just—it was—it was a little overwrought in terms of how it was lit. A couple of scenes were like that. On the other hand, like he did make the bridge look nice when they were in combat. But this, yep. the, to me, the, the story of of generations is missed opportunity after missed opportunity. Hey, we could open with a fight with the list. no, let's do a ceremony like on the bridge of a ship. We don't know. Hey, maybe there could be a cool fight with like Larissa and Baytor. No, instead, let's just have them like sit across from each other and just kind of do broadsides, you know? Hey, and as and this gets to Darren's point, Captain Kirk. If Captain Kirk was really in the nexus, the place that he wanted to be, he would be on the bridge of the freaking Enterprise. That's where you would find him. You know, it's like that, that to me is, that's his nexus because, and it's set up, it's right there in the beginning, right? It's like, he is avoiding like going to that ceremony. He doesn't go, but he kind of goes. But the implication is, especially when he just runs to the rescue is, oh, this is his bliss. This is the thing that he loves. And then he's just kind of hanging out. So you're left with this scene where you have these two guys who are in these inert non-scenes, and one of them is trying to kind of talk the other one into wanting to be in the movie. Captain of the Enterprise. That's right.
3: Close to retirement. I'm not planning on it. Let me tell you something. Don't. Don't let them promote you. Don't let them transfer you. Don't let them do anything takes you off the bridge of that ship because while you're there you can make a difference come back with me help me stop Soren make a difference again
0: who am I to argue with the captain of the Enterprise What's the name
3: of that planet, Viridian Three. Yeah. I take it the odds are against us, and the situation is grim. You could say that. You know, if Spock were here, he'd say that I was an irrational, illogical human being for taking on a mission like that.
2: Sounds like fun. Right, and it's just it just stops everything dead. There are some neat special effects but ultimately, like you know, in spite, uh, I think of like the 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 just some amazing talent like on the screen, like and
0: kind of on the set behind the scenes.
2: It just it didn't work.
0: Okay, so Ashley, we're putting Brian at a terrible disadvantage. Yeah, I apologize. We are. No, this why, right. this is ready. what I want. Let's this is what I want to do, Brian. I want <laughs> Much to, like I, want... I was talking about Star Trek six. So <laughs> yeah, don't but feel, you're you're uh... a big boy. You can take a few insults. <laughs> <So> is Brian. <laughs> okay, so I, I want to um. I want, I, what i want to do is let's focus right now and we'll get to the, the cons and c-o-n not k-h-a-n let's talk about, the, I, let's good talk about the pros let's talk Only about the what good we things like you know. i think we talked about we, we like david carson we like uh obviously john alonso who shot chinatown so many other great movies um and uh, tell us a little bit about why this movie resonates so strongly for you why you like it obviously you know, you were a big fan of Next Gen, we get that. And this was seeing the characters on the big screen for the first time. But, you know, what about the movie it was like, you really like, that's really, this really stand out for me.
4: So uh, let me work backwards through Ashley and then Darren's comments, and I'll try to get to a thesis of why I think the movie's entertaining to me. Maybe maybe only to, only to me out of, of the four of us. So I, I would say that, first off, it's funny you mentioned the information thing. I went to my very first Star Trek convention ever the summer before this movie came out, and Marina was the guest, and you know, you got to ask questions and whatnot. And someone asked her, about, You know, what can you tell us about the movie? And she's like, Oh, I get to drive, I get to drive the Enterprise, and you know, maybe the next one will be a lot nicer. And, and in my heart, I was like, Oh my God, no. what do you mean they're gonna blow up the Enterprise? Like, I was just so mortified. Anyway, that, that was 1994 for you in a nutshell. Um, and as far <laughs> as like as David Carson, like that opening sequence is basically. Kirk changing the toner cartridge in the Enterprise's copy room, and yet he somehow makes it exciting. He somehow makes that ridiculous climbing over ladders, and, and you have, you know, Dennis McCarthy's score just hammering home. What's, this, this is a huge event, and it feels very intense to me. I, I just, I, I don't know how, I'm always impressed as a director of him, but pull something like that off, where I'm sure on the page, it read very just rote and, and, and ridiculous. But I chalked um, that off to Shatner's
0: charisma. And the characters, I sure, you know sure, yeah. the characters' history that makes that first ten minutes uh, so effective.
4: And and as far as the as the next as well, yeah, it's it's galba and 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 the rules of it are all over the place. It, and I and I can only more defend the Picard's stance where you know something happened to him where he loses his you know nephew and and brother and the, these new they questions. Died are the, in a fire, <laughs> like my brother who hung <laughs> I've just so pain, I've had oh, I've been so
0: racked with pain my wear whole wears. life. Oh wait, <laughs> this is Patrick Stewart talking, not Picard.
4: No, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, where he's presented with new questions about his mortality and that this, you know, I think I think if anything, what bugged me about both those sequences is there was no one we knew. We're like, what's that post-event briefing like where they're like, so you were you got your fantasy, you got to be who are you with? Were you with Riker? were you with Data? Who are you with? Um, I was with the director's wife in real life, and so we had a family and kids for some reason, which I always thought was, like, very bizarre and insulting to the people he loved around him. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, I think it's weird. But I think, it, like any good Star Trek thing, it always takes it manifests some sort of character problem into sort of something science fiction-y. And so if, if Kirk's wrestling with his mortality and Picard's and, 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 and wrestling with his legacy here's some sci-fi gobbledygook that's gonna make them sort of confront it. And whether it works, obviously is up for debate based on present company. But I think that kind of storytelling that is what endears me to Star Trek so much. Like you you can't get that on, you know, NCIS Hawaii, where it's, here's, here's these metaphorical things that can teach you about their characters and, you know, make you think beyond the realm you normally would think of. And, right. you know, if anything, I think Generations is more the the sum of its parts are greater than its whole. Like as a complete film, yes, it does not work from a a, a, a purely execution flawless way. But I think there's moments where it's you know that scene in Stellar Cartography where where you know Data confesses he can't handle the chip and Picard talks to him and then their investigation how the ribbon works. That's like pure dopamine shot in the in, in the brain of like. That's, that's Star Trek, man. That's, that, that'll keep me going for a couple weeks, seeing that, those moments. I cannot continue with this investigation. I wish to be deactivated until Dr. Crusher can remove the emotion
3: chip. Are you having some kind of malfunction? No, sir. I simply do not have the ability to control these emotions. Data, I, I have nothing but sympathy for what you are feeling. But right now, I need you to- Sir, I it. no longer want these emotions. Deactivating me is the only viable solution. Part of having feelings is learning to integrate them into your life, Data. Learning to live with them, no matter sir, what the circumstances- I cannot. You will not be deactivated. You're an officer on board this ship and I require you to perform your duty. That is an order, Commander.
4: Yes, sir. There's just little pieces like that throughout the sort of aggregate and turn into just this film just builds like a a love a love inside of me. And I think as I get older and you know, reading more about how this, the constraints of this movie and how they can only have Kirk in the beginning and the ends and how they had to have Klingons and they had to have, you know, a, a Khan-type villain and all these sort of like things that were thrown at them, they were sort of making a TV show in the sense where they're just constraints of like, here's the 15 things we have to service and we somehow turn it into a script and we somehow make it into a movie. The fact that it even like isn't English is sort of shocking in a lot of ways. But the fact that I, that it can be even remotely entertaining, I think, is uh, credit to, to Ron and, 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 and Brandon and Rick and, and David and all those guys. Well, look, rest assured when you say
0: that um, it's, it's, it's three on one, that I'm sure when uh, this episode drops and it's on the interwebs, you'll have <laughs> a far larger uh, of monocle of support than you have here. So Absolutely. fear not. Uh, <laughs> you're not alone. We'll all, you're not alone. A lot of people are going to have your back on this. No, we are not the three to do it, however. <laughs> First of all, Stellar Cartography was a joke because, you know, I, this was a freaking, freaking bottle off. show, this episode. And, and it's like, oh, well, how do we turn a TV episode into a movie? Well, I mean, they kind of did that with All Good Things, which, as, as Brandon rightly says, that should have been the movie. Because, oh, how do we turn movie? Well, let's put, like, create the set for no reason, Stellar Cartography, because it's big. And we, yeah. it's visual, as opposed to that was something on the TV series. They could have done the same scene in the ready room, and it, not to mention it's such an um, an uh, uh, um, scene that ha- deals with character that actually the bigness of it actually works against what's happening in the in the character moments. It's the same thing crashing the ship, which is absurd because I have no problem with destroying the Enterprise. But if you remember in the movie, they fight the Klingons.
1: bird of prey. They were retired from service because of defective plasma coils. Plasma coils? Is there any way we can use that to our advantage? I do not
0: see how. The plasma coil is part
1: of their cloaking device.
2: Let's get a stabilizer on that conduit.
1: Reinforce that starboard anerlock.
2: We need to reroute main power through the
1: secondary cup. Did it. Would a defective plasma coil be susceptible to
4: some sort of ionic pulse? Perhaps. Yes. Yes. If we sent a low-level ionic pulse, it might reset the coil and trigger the cloaking device. Excellent idea, sir.
1: As their cloak begins to engage, their shields will drop. They'll have two seconds of vulnerability, Mr. Data. Lock on the plasma coil. No problem.
0: They destroy the Klingons after they get the um the uh the they, they, for all intents and purposes the prefix code it's not really the same right. thing but it's similar enough that it's dodgy but so they they, they 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 the klingons are destroyed the enterprise is is fine then 10 minutes later after we've done a bunch of talking and thrown pebbles on viridian 3 um oh my god the engine is gonna blow up we have to i mean it's like there's no sense of trauma there's not a sense of like Oh my God, this is a combat. This is, I mean, look at even, I can't believe I'm saying this. Look at Star Trek three. They lure the Klingons into a trap. They set the self-destruct. They blow up the enterprise for a reason. Right. I can't believe I'm t- using Star Trek. Three Well, as an example. No, no, it's but, good uh, because it means that the, the followers
2: on Twitter will like be happy that you said something nice about Star but, Trek.
0: But, but, <laughs> but in this, like it's literally, and I watched it again. I have to tell you to attribute to you. I watched it again last night and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, Well, does the Enterprise club now? When's the crash? When's the crash? Like 10 minutes. Bunch of stuff. People are walking around the ship. Picard's beaming down to the planet. Um, He's hanging out with Sauron. Sauron's explaining his dastardly plan. He's throwing pebbles at the shield. He notices, oh, there's a little crevasse I can walk through. And then all of a sudden on the Enterprise, oh, I think there's a problem with the engine. Oh, there's a really big problem with the engine. Oh, my God. We got to get out of here because it's going to blow up. I mean, and then because we want to show the Enterprise crashing, this is something they wanted to do in a seventh season episode. They couldn't do so now. But, we can do it because it's a movie, but it makes but you, no sense. It buys us see, nothing. They could have. They could have still done that. They
1: could have still had the same action set pieces, but made it good with storytelling and character. the The thing is that we talked about this with Brandon before. That it it betrayed a, a real. Uh, ignorance of the characters and what they needed to be satisfying to the audience. Um, the thing is, if they had only found a way to put captain Kirk on the bridge of the D and have him responsible mm-hmm. for crashing the ship, you know, and he dies in the crash where he belongs on the bridge of the ship. Not under mm-hmm. a bridge as the joke goes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it would have given Picard, uh, Patrick Stewart, his action character stance to be able to defeat Soren by
0: himself. Well, and that's a real problem if mm-hmm. you look at the in the third act. Patrick is really emasculated. They give yeah. you know by Kirk does all the fighting and is the one who really you know and and basically all Patrick gets to do is I'll get to the launcher. And yes, and great. he's he's constantly being I socked in the jaw the and falling and throwing rocks at four shields and getting nothing to do. And it starts with his fantasy. He does fantasy,
4: dive on Soren when he's about to get shot. like this. Which is, not, this is this is like minutia. He, but does, he does, the does Secret Service sap- tackle.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it starts with this whole fantasy, you know, where he's in a Christmas Carol, you know, and 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 he's imagining what it would be like if his family or David Carson's family was uh, alive. <laughs> And um, and then you have that whole deus ex machina with Guinan. Whenever sure. you need an explanation for something, Guinan shows up and explains it for no reason. First, she's on the Enterprise. This is, okay, now I'm going to explain what the Nexus is so we can establish it for the audience. Then she's in the Nexus. He's in the Nexus. And then Guinan's in the Nexus. Well, this is an echo of me. And I'm going to explain to you what you need to do. And I'm going to suggest you go find Captain Kirk. He can help you because you can't do it yourself. What right. the fuck? So, so literally
2: he goes to a place like he gets put on the bus. Right. And just like, in terms of like television metaphor, like when you put a character on the bus, it means that you just don't want them in the story anymore because they have to like go do a thing. So he's on the bus and he's waiting for the plot to call and the plot calls and it's Guinan. Right. And the plot tells him that you need to go get Kirk. Now, why do you need to go get Kirk? Well, you would hope that, it would be for something that ultimately had a, had a payoff that was worth it. But actually, what it turns out is is Picard is basically saying, "Yo, bro, I need you to come back with me to the twenty fourth century because your double hammer blow is badass, and I need somebody to do that. And apparently, you're the guy. Like, I'm far too weak to fight find- <laughs> him. <laughs> it's like clearly, like we haven't seen Starship Mine, you know? Um, it just it. The, the juice was ultimately not worth the squeeze and the and the storytelling to get there like it, none of it was organic. It was he everything kind of happened because it had to happen. It felt like and I, I'm sure felt like a Mad Libs. Yeah. Well, or it felt like a first draft. It felt like, holy crap, like we're up against a deadline. We have to make this thing work. Like we're good enough writers that, you know, we can jam this thing out and have it make like a modicum of logical sense. I want to
0: help Brian out on this because you not only had the studio, which thought they knew Star Trek better than the people who made it, giving all these, you know, all these ridiculous things they were forcing on them. Um, And telling them what it should be and how this, you know, because they were very concerned that Next Generation transitioned into a franchise for the studio. So uh, with this one, they were very, very worried, but they didn't really understand Star Trek, but they were giving all these things anyway. Then you had... Suddenly the actors are completely empowered. So Patrick is able to say, I want my family to die in a fire. And I wanted to be the man of action and I want all this stuff. And then, um, you know, you have Bill with, you know, to get him to do it, there was no guarantee that Shatner was going to do it. And, yeah. you know, especially when you're telling him you're not the star, you're at the beginning and you're at the end. So, you know, how do you get Bill, besides money, uh, to be amenable to do the part? You tell him you can ride horses. You know, you tell him, you know, he can, and he said, like, Oh, yeah, I'll cook and I'll ride horses. And that sounds great. Sounds great. You know, can I have my dogs in it? Yeah, and my dog. Sure, and sure and he'll can. get paid a per diem for yeah. all the daisies in the kennel. It'd be great. So, um, you have all these, these things at work. So there's so many things undermining it. And, you know, and, and look, as the writers talk about, that's why First Contact, you know, the sort of handcuffs were off because this movie was successful enough that the studio largely left them alone, you know, plus, you know, look, I don't want to criticize Rick because Rick did so much right, but at the same time, not a fan of the original. So there's no one there other than Ron Moore who's going to be like, Let's protect the integrity of Captain Kirk and who this character is, and why do we have a cipher like Antonia, who's a stand-in for every woman when it should be Edith Keeler when Joan Collins is alive. And, and oh well, but but fans may not understand. I mean, people, the general audience may not understand who Edith Keeler is. So let's not make it Edith Keeler. So instead, but let's mention the Romulans. Let's mention the Borg. Let's mention who it, the general audience is going to know what they're talking about. And and I will say this, and then I want to go back onto the pro. Because that's why we're here. Is um <laughs> is I think there was no more dangerous force, forget the Nexus than Jerry Taylor. I, and I love Jerry, and I think what she did on Next Gen and, and Voyager was phenomenal. And she she brought great character, she wrote great episodes. But when they showed her the script, her feedback was a hundred percent wrong every time. She was the one who said oh, no, we shouldn't open with an action scene. Let's open with them on the water. You know, she she came up with this idea of them, this ridiculous scene on the sailing ship and, you know, uh, uh, where Wharf is getting his promotion. Like, anyone cares about that. It's a movie. It's not an episode. You know, she was the one who's like, you know, time and time again saying, oh, the fight with the Romulans on Armagosa? You have got to get rid of that. You don't need that. Um, You know, obviously, because of budget, they cut the great fight scene that would have happened on the, the destroyed enterprise between what was left of the Klingons and um, the, the, the crew, which would have been a great action beat. Because if you really think about it, when Kirk and Picard are going through all their machinations with Sauron, there's no B story. There's nothing going on with Riker. They, there's nothing for them to solve. There's nothing for them to do. Um, and I love at the end when Picard shows up and he's like, oh, hey, we had very few casualties. Isn't that great? First of all, there's no way there would be very few casualties. Secondly, it's a family ship. And and third, even if you had, you know, could you imagine Kirk losing a bunch of people and on the Enterprise? He's just like, oh, well, we'll get a new one. It's okay. Don't worry. You'll be captain of another one, Riker. I mean and and <laughs> the freaking thing. Like
2: the uh the there was what was it? God, what episode was it? Yeah. The, um, uh, the, k- the chase. The chase, thank you. Like, they went across the universe collecting this thing. It's like, you know, one yes. of the most important artifacts, archaeological finds. And it's just
0: like, you know, he just sit over his shoulder.
2: <laughs> it's like,
0: what? Yeah, 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 totally. And and then, look, and last but not least, and you can appreciate this as a, as a writer, Um, I think, you know, we established the stakes. And what's, what's at stake? Because we say, if he's able to detonate this star, The entire population of Viridian 4, millions of people, will be killed. So we can't allow this to happen, right? Um, We never see that planet. We never go to that planet. We never try to evacuate that planet. We never do anything. So it's like, it's bullshit. You know, it's like we never establish any kind of real stakes or jeopardy for anyone. And um, you know why it's just so frustrating. And I'm not even getting into the 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 beginning with the where they literally gave Chekhov and Scotty all of DeForest Kelly's and uh, Leonard Nimoy's lines when they said they weren't going to do the movie. I mean, Leonard Nimoy got it right when he, when they came to him to direct. He was the first person they came to, to direct, and he said this needs a page one rewrite. He says the only thing that interests me is Data's emotion chip. Data, you're not actually thinking about using that thing, are you? I have considered it for many months.
3: And in light of my recent episode with Dr. Crusher, now may be the appropriate time. Thought you were worried about it overloading your neural net. That is true. However, I believe my growth as an artificial life form has reached an impasse. For 34 years, I have endeavored to become more human, to grow beyond my original programming still i am unable to grasp such a basic concept as humor
0: this emotion chip may be the only answer the rest of this is nonsense and and rick said no we're making this script so if you, you so he, and, and they never talked again leonard was you know leonard and him never talked again after that so i think leonard had it right to be honest but okay let's talk about what's great <laughs> about this movie so Brian, I'm sorry. We, you know what? I'm, no, I'm, I'm taking this very, very personal. I know. I, I, I just, uh, I just really don't like this movie. It gets me really worked up. And since it's 30 years ago, I feel comfortable talking about it. You know. Sure. So because you know, I think we have to respect the, uh, you know, the, the work and 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 the the, the creative feet, But it's 30 years ago, so the, the statute of limitations on
4: criticizing, <laughs> uh, you know, is okay. No, I, I get it. I mean like I said, this is no, it's in no way a perfect movie. I just, I, I just, the charms of it outweigh for me the the, the flaws. And and you're, you're right, you know, like it's, it's always a challenge in something like, especially something like Star Trek, where you have these imaginary things that you sort of apply logical rules to them and then break them as you feel convenient because they just surface the story and, you know, oh, we don't need to explain my guidance on the Nexus and it doesn't make sense. But it does sort of quasi-emotionally. I feel like, you know, that's always going to be the thing that, I can forgive sins if, if if that's okay. They get it wrong in a sense where it's again, why, like, why are we seeing these strangers instead of people we know in the nexus? Where it's like your 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 dream is never beyond just to be in some weird uh, Dickensian version of, of of London with your family, dusted you know, with like your kids and whatnot. So it's very strange, for sure. But I think you know, in terms of servicing what the the thesis of the of the episode of the movie is about his mortality. Yeah, it works in that sense. Is it, is it perfect? No, but I think it, it filled that slot. I mean, I, I encourage people who are haters of the movie to listen to uh, more and Braga's commentary on, the, on the, the Generations disc. I think it's just a fantastic uh, look into the constraints of what was going on and were realistic accounting in terms of what works and what didn't and what they were trying to do and how they failed and how they wish, you know, if they had all these years of, of knowledge to go back and, you know, tell themselves how to fix, it'd be a better movie. So I don't know, I just, I, I don't, I don't take it as a personal assault as much as you, Mark. Good, because it's not. <laughs> no, it, it,
0: it's not at all. I'd look, you know, here's the thing we always say on the show. You should love what you love. You Nobody's sure. telling, when we say something's bad or we don't uh, like, we, we say we don't like it, this is why. Sure. We're not saying you shouldn't get joy from it. And I don't mean you specifically. I mean, sure not, in, in I general. It. We mean you should not get joy. I them. mean, it's, it's, it's <laughs> like, good. I'm glad someone is getting uh, a joy out of it. It's like we said with Star Trek Three. You know, it doesn't. But you know, it's fun to debate this stuff or discuss this stuff. Sure. Um, and it's funny because I really thought I wanted you to come in and talk about everything and 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 um, you know, really we we sort of kick back and. But this movie, whatever reason, man, it just. I need to share I, need I to swear, share God, it just gets me so sharing.
2: angry. I, I can't believe what after I all these it, years. I I think it's that it's a, also a little bit why. The Phantom Menace pisses us off as much as it does. I mean, other than that it blows, um, is uh, there was a lot of anticipation for this, sure. right? Because the next generation was just a terrific show. It was a terrific bit of Star Trek, and the promise of it um, becoming a sort of a movie franchise seemed cool, right? It seemed like that would absolutely work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the just even little crossovers or even big crossovers between the next generation and uh, the original series were always fun. They were always cool, right? Like, you know, we enjoy, like, like, Sarek was a great episode. Um, you know, it's a... Uh, it, and whether or not unification part one and two worked or not, like it was cool seeing Spock with Picard, like that dynamic worked. Um, Just like, even though relics was kind of middle of the road, it was interesting to see Scotty, right? These things kind of like, okay, like I, I get it. Um, And there was so much promise in this premise. And I, I think part of what, 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 where I think, like, for most of the viewing public, the reaction is just apathy <laughs> to what happens in the movie. Like, I think those of us who um, don't like it are apoplectic about it because we put so much into our hopes for it.
0: Like, I we truly to that. wanted it to be great. Ashley, if you don't mind, I want to build sure. on that. I, you know, the thing is, for better or for worse, Star Trek to us is not just another TV show. You know, it, it, we take it very seriously. Um, you know, in not any form. In, 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 in any form. It's, it's important to us, right? And 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 I think that um, one of the things, at least for us, I can say we loved about the original Star Trek was it was a meritocracy. And if you were good at what you did, regardless of your race, color, creed, planet, whatever, then you would be successful, and nothing would hold you back. And you would, you know, and 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 smart, in, intelligence. And smart and cunning and like just cleverness and, and being a good, you know, was rewarded, right? And then you start this movie with Captain Harriman, who is a total loser. You know, um, Alan Ruck is a total loser. And you think to yourself, these people are not taking this universe seriously. There's no way that this guy would be captain of the flagship of Starfleet. And the thing is, it's easy to make, it's an easy joke. It's easy to make Shatner Kirk look better because this guy is a schmuck. The harder writing is to make this guy or girl super competent and, and super good at what they do and still make Kirk right. so much better and smarter and able to outthink him. But instead yeah. we go for the easy punch lines. We, we basically, you know, make him, uh, you know, Cameron from Ferris Bueller. That's who we associate with him. Right. And it's Imagine really. Imagine if he
2: were awesome and like, you know, he gets whacked. You know, in that opening sequence.
1: Well, it's the It should be the same dynamic between Kirk and Decker. Yeah, the Decker was absolutely qualified to be where he was. He was smarter than Kirk on the on the new Enterprise, and he knew what to do. Uh, but you know, it's the way you tell the story. It's the way you manipulate uh, the uh, surroundings and the and the and the things that happen to everybody. Uh, to make it work out that our hero gets to
0: have the upper hand is look yeah. at the other captains of the enterprise the captain of the enterprise c she mm-hmm. was a badass right yeah she made the tough decisions she wasn't a goofball i mean and say what you will about all the captains we've been in the original series even her first officer was awesome. you know a yeah. co- Commodore wesley and 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 you know even though um you know matt decker you know he was a broken man but he wasn't yeah. a bad. But captain. he was brilliant. He was a yeah. freaking commodore. He was just going through this, you know, PTSD. I mean, obviously from, you know, it's like so to suddenly have Alan Ruck, you know, as 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 uh, as I keep thinking Alan Ruckman. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it just it just it's like, you know, uh, and and yet these are some of the best scenes in the movie, which is the irony of it all because it's just such a sense of life when Bill is on screen, and even Scotty and Chekhov. Um, you know, and I, I, there's, there's a fun to it. There's they're running around. And you save it. And after that, it's just where do we go to? We go to the um, the ceremony sailing ship, what they spend money on a ship that's almost a bo- an episode, a movie that's almost a bottle show. We choose to spend money on going out and filming on the open water for a couple of days for somebody that has nothing to do with the plot that just supposed to be this. Uh, I don't know what it is. I mean, any I other movie
2: mention, you would cut okay. that scene? You would Hold absolutely I, cut it.
1: I need to mention one thing, that while I was watching the movie the first time, uh, that scene really uh, slapped me in the face because we we cut to like on, on deck. Yeah, <laughs> we cut to on deck, and Picard and Riker are standing there, and they're looking around, and Picard says, imagine how it was. Imagine how it was. You're experiencing how it was. <laughs> <laughs> You're literally... You don't have to imagine anything. You're there. That,
0: it, that is the problem with the movie. The script is terrible. So, okay, but other things Sorry. we love about this movie. We talked about John Alonzo. I, I mean, I know you, you, you're a big fan of uh, Dennis McCarthy's score. I am not. Um, no. Not a fan at all of, uh, wasn't a fan of his work on the show, wasn't a fan of his work. Really? Right. Yeah, on on the I I love uh, Ron Jones. Don I love Jones. Jay Chattaway. Yep. Um, I liked what Don Davis did. I, not a fan. And and hey, and that, I, this aside, he apparently is the nicest man in the world. So I yeah. mean, I hear that McCarthy Dennis McCarthy is the loveliest, nicest, loves the fan. You know, great guy. Just not a fan of his music. Never was. Well, Terry Goldsmith was an asshole. So and he was the great. Was you know <laughs> one of the great composers of all time. So, um, and obviously Jerry is missed here, Um, and they figured that out when they when they
2: did the next. Yeah, I mean, you know, know.
0: anything good about Insurrection is only because Jerry scored it. Um, Okay, so what else do we like about this movie? We talked about we like uh, um, the visual effects
1: are great, great visual effects
0: from ILM. The crash sequence is is terrific. Yeah,
4: it was sort of the last movie to really have the models be so so pronounced. Yep. Uh in the show and so it, it it feels so much more tangible than than you know especially you know the current shows I don't, I don't bring up other things but um it, it just feels like the the navy ships fighting like I think it was intended to be not just you know bats flying out of a cave or whatever's going on uh yeah. now. It's a great point. I mean, and it
0: really is this elegy almost for The age of miniatures, because it is one of the last of these great miniature sci fi shows before it all becomes CGI. They did
1: build a miniature of the E for uh, first contact. Did they?
0: Was that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, but the big, big effect scenes here. I mean, the crash is, you know, the crash is great, but the battle is just underwhelming.
2: It's, it is like it was, it feels like it was designed by somebody who had essentially needed to cut some shots.
0: Well, they used the stock footage. From yeah, Star Trek yeah. Six of the Bird yeah. of Prey uh, blowing up. Bird of Prey, and then I have to say I don't know if you you know recently watched it, but the phaser fight on board the Armagosa Armagosa <laughs> Station between um, Data and um, Riker versus um, a <laughs> uh, uh, and and Jordy who's sitting there. Sorry. It's like those old oh, yeah. opening scenes for or, uh the, the naked gun <laughs> where they're like this far apart and they go pew pew pew, you know, right next mm-hmm. to each other. I mean, it, it's so terribly blocked and photographed. And uh and, and most of the um uh phaser fights are like that. Um there's not only all- Federation officers are so precise. <laughs> um and then, you know, I just can't believe, like, Riker's thinking about his next command um, the whole time, the, you know, when the, the ship is in shambles and, you know, people have presumably died, families have died, kids have died. Um,
2: yeah, uh, so yeah, I mean, so certainly... Dead, but what about my problem?
4: Certainly, you know, Riker and Worf and, you know, Beverly, all underserved and don't get really much to do beyond just, you know, reciting plot. So it's sort of, you know, unfortunately... There are a few of, of any of the films, of any of the franchises that really service all the you know the main seven. In most cases, it, it's a hard thing to do. I mean, first contact I think does the most in terms of TNG stuff. They all get yeah. sort of. They're, they're something to do. something yeah. to
0: do. Yeah, I mean, how do you feel about the data and the um, emotion chip, the B story?
3: Spot, I am very happy to see you, Spot another family reunited data are you all right I am uncertain counselor I am happy to see spot (laughs) yet I am crying perhaps the chip is not functioning
2: I think it's working perfectly
4: Spot. You know, I, I it was one of those things where, like, I feel like it was a story they couldn't tell on the show. Like, it was like, do we ha- want to have another thing of of data wrestling with he wants to be human? Well, let's give him a leg up finally. Let's let's mm-hmm. you know present him with you know the, the thing he's wanted all along and see how it plays. And, and certainly, it was is it much more comedic than than you know probably we're used to in terms of Star Trek. But I think, and sometimes in movies, you have to press that wizard brain part of your uh your head that goes like let's just have some jokes let's have some you know and he's genuinely funny like the, the oh shit i think is still fantastic it's still uh exactly the, the thing you want to have happen and he was the guy to deliver it and and uh you know and him and then on the, the folks side, him crying when he finds spot i think it's just a very sweet even yeah, though it's absolutely. you know very overwrought but it's you know it's true to who data is where you know he's bragging about he's Command, I have full control of my emotions, Counselor, Troy. Don't worry, nothing's... I'm going to control them. They're not going to control me. And then he's crying over his cat. And it's delightful. Delightful.
2: I agree. Like, the oh, shit is great. And, I, and the, the moment of spot is great.
4: But it, the
2: problem to me with it as a story, just in the, in the context of it being a feature film, is it is a sea story, like, in a feature and the C story, where like people are just kind of having conversations about something in the middle of this action movie, and Data is telling jokes that like not only annoy Jordy, but annoy us. Um, and it's just, I, 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 there's so many things. Looking at this movie now, like knowing like what I know now just about how the sausage just made. I'm like, how did that not get cut? How did that not get cut? But when I mentally review all of the scenes that I think, how did that Ramp. not get cut? There isn't Ramp. a movie left. <laughs> that's a problem. Um, and look, I, I, I want to, I do want to try to emphasize the positive. I think that generally speaking, the performances were really good given the material. I think that's almost a gimme though. um I I think in spite of occasionally overdoing it, I think that John Alonzo shot a really beautiful movie. I think like, again, the bridge of the enterprise never looked better. Um, You know, I think the special effects look great. Um, There were a couple of like really great sequences when they were taken like just by themselves. It was fun to see. Fun. it was fun to see <laughs> Captain Kirk and Captain Picard um together but I, I think when you said that it's like you know it's about the sum of its parts like not the whole I can I can get my head around that um that response to the to the movie um it's just i I look at it and what I what I do not see is a movie i, I barely see a coherent two-part episode um it, you know it's it <laughs>
4: That's, that's fundamentally
2: my issue. Also, I hate the uniforms, but
4: <laughs> in terms of it being a C story, like the turn, the, the like the enterprise doesn't blow up unless Data freaks out and, and can't save Geordi. So there's a, this emotional stakes of Data finally gets his emotions. He can't handle them. He freaks out. So Sorin gets away with Geordie, gives him, you know, fucks with his visor, gets him to be back. And that's why the enterprise gets exploded. That feels like stakes to me. That feels like true emotional consequences of what he's going through.
2: I mean, if, if, you, if you buy the premise that any of that ultimately is something that matters, because clearly the movie doesn't think so. Because the, the, the second that you've got that fight, right, and the Enterprise blows up, and all of those things, right, it, it, once you're there, that part of the story is just done. All those sure. stakes have essentially evaporated and they no longer matter. And the, the movie never picks up that thread again.
0: Um, because look, uh, um, the, the Klingons are even aren't an impediment to Picard accomplishing what he needs to accomplish. That's right. He literally yeah. says to the Klingons, um, I'll beam me down to the planet, and if um, afterwards you can beam me up as your hostage. So he's beamed down to the planet. They're not even trying to stop him.
4: That's so- right. It's like
2: if you needed the Enterprise to blow up the goddamn missile launcher or do something— Right. But the Klingons are like your interference in that. And there's something that kind of feels like all of these pieces of the story are talking to each other. I would feel better about it, but they're not talking to each other. They're having completely separate conversations
0: about Ashley's also talking about how he didn't like Picard surrendering. One of the other things I don't like, it's always like, you know, the Enterprise is the flagship where it is menaced by an inferior force. Like, I'd much rather see, you know, six birds of prey. You know, a, but we're you know it's how are we going to get out of this and make them look smart rather than being taken down by a lesser force? It doesn't help Picard. It doesn't help the char- the characters at all because it doesn't show them being smart. Right. It's like and you contrast
2: that to say, first contact, where it's like, okay, now we're up against the Borg, right? And they've taken over the ship, and there's nothing we can do. And you totally buy it because it's the Borg, and we. The ship explodes. Why? Because it is the only way to defeat the Borg. And everything is kind of built around like a threat that you 100% believe that is organically integrated into the entire story. And the stakes of these stories are talking to each other. And they're not talking to each other in generations, which is what makes it feel very first drafty to me.
0: There's something to be uh something to be said for that. And again, they, they were up against a tight deadline because remember, yeah. Bran and Ron were writing it most of the um seven well, the seventh season was in production. They were mm-hmm. writing the script. I mean, this is the problem keeping it so insular, mm-hmm. is that they were they were writer and producers on the show, which was short staffed anyway, and writing the script for the movie, and then the movie goes into production, so it's prepping. At the same time, all good things is in production. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of the same people because, you know, you know. We, look, we all do that. We all like to work with friends. This is the dirty little secret of television, which we all know. You like to hire your friends if they're good, when you can. We've all done it. We've all, you know, showrunners or is it you hire people you like and then you hire other people. But, you know, you hire, you know, production designers, people you've worked with before that you like and, and to a fault. You know, Rick loved to keep, uh, you know, the, the same people that worked on the TV show to the extent that he could on the movies. But there is a different muscle for doing movies than there is for doing TV, especially when TV is in production and you don't have the liberty of being able to devote 100 percent of your time to that movie. You're going to get a half ass whether you want to or not. Is mm-hmm. it I, I just want to go back to my
1: my main problem with the movie is soren's plan is it ever explained why soren can't just take a ship and fly into the next it'll space? blow
0: up because that's what happened in um mm-hmm. in in the teaser yeah, it'll blow up and captain kirk was put in the nexus well mm-hmm. but it, there's no guarantee because it's saying it it's coming to him. It, he needs it to come to him he can't go to it that's what they say but that's I, I'm, not, I'm not defending the logic that's I'm just because then captain they, kirk would be dead uh, you know that's why he's standing on the monkey bars at the end, going, "Come on, take me, take me!" You know, I mean, and it literally, it looks like kids playing in the monkey bars. This is your third act battle, your big fisticuffs. This is not John Woo. This is not even like Die Hard. It's two guys playing on the monkey bars. That they went out to the Valley of Fire, beautiful looking place, and they built some monkey bars. Like it looks like a playground. Like uh, you could reenact this with your six year olds and uh, with slides and ladders. But it's and well it's but it's well shot. Yeah, it looks good. I love that shot that you used all the time of him standing in front of the Nexus, sure. uh, Malcolm mm-hmm. McDowell. And it's just the whole yeah. sky is like, you know, orange and lightning and everything. It's, it looks great, but you know, I'm hard pressed to even understand what the Nexus is I, as, um, as, 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 as Guyan says, it's like being wrapped in joy
1: and
2: what? gratitude.
1: Wait, no. Um, right. What does you that what? mean? I think that they should have embraced this idea
0: and actually made the nexus hell oh that's the black hole thanks for transitioning to that show i've been dying to do for a long time it's like (laughs) it's wrapped in joy who joy behar whoopee i mean what's going on (laughs) i mean come on it's it makes no sense i mean it's like well you can go to any point in time and time is non-linear and i like i know they didn't want to just do another time travel story but it's like and you see it with shatner it's like I'm going to go propose to Antonia right now. Like I wanted to 10 years ago. And it's like, he should have gone back to the transport accident, and start to the picture and kept them from beaming. So uh, instead he goes out as the stables. And it's like, oh, I mean, I, I, sorry. I, you know, again, I find myself, I literally, I wanted to come in this episode and be very quiet. My Kirk. plan was to come and not say much <laughs> and, and, and really let Brian do the talking and then be like Kirk, an excellent tactician that you guys attack, and I would just (laughs) hang back. But uh,
4: I couldn't help myself. That's how much I hate this movie. (laughs) I mean, look, there's always going to be some buy-in that's ridiculous. Like an alien probe is going to come to Earth looking for extinct whales to send a signal back so they don't destroy the Earth. That's just as fucking crazy in my head. In terms of I way. don't think
0: I agree. so. <laughs> Darren agrees with you. Darren doesn't like Star Trek 4. I actually think that's a really interesting MacGuffin to explore the story that they explored. It's less of a Ruby
2: Goldberg device that you have to get to to make it work.
0: Plus, it's very clean. Okay, yeah. the, 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 the whales aren't sending out the signal, so we're going to come to Earth and if we can't find it, we're going to destroy Earth. Got it. Simple. Understand. I just not like being wrapped in joy. Uh, you know, I get it. I get what's going on, and it's sending it's a, a very Joey important burrito. message. It says, "Oh my God, we're whaling the, we're destroying all these humpback whales." Humpback but people. I think
4: there was no, but there's no. See, in my mind, that reads there's no character connection of in terms of why that's happening or how that relates to what's going on in the story beyond just, "Hey, we want to go back to 1985 and have Spock, you know, put fingers on the guy with the boombox in the bus." Like it, like there's you as faulty as as Nexus was. There was an attempt to try and get into what's going on in Kirk and Picard's mind, as incorrectly may end up being. It was sort of, it felt like a, a you were watching like true Star Trekian storytelling in terms of we're going to present you something that's going to oh, teach you something. I, like I, I think. What, look, whether you like Star Trek Four or not, and I know you like it. You're playing devil's advocate. But
0: yeah. He doesn't. The thing about Star Trek Four is it, it makes this great case that humanity is the villain by destroying the whales, and if we don't do something to change that you know, ultimately, you know, we're, it's going to come back on us. You know, right. these things we don't care about now you know, are going to have implications. Like, that is such a great Star no, Trek I, message. Yeah, no, I, I'm, again, I'm just saying devil's eye. I'm just saying. Oh, but, no, I get it. Yeah. Also, here's, the, this is, this to
2: me is the most damning. Thing, and I can't believe it. It's like, I keep, I'm like you, Mark. I keep wondering, okay, I'm trying to think of the things that I really like. Throw <laughs> all I keep my trying problems too. with the damn whale movie. The whale movie? and Look, I, I, Took my my kid to see it, big screen, all that. And you know what? It's fun. It's zippy. It moves. In it's generations, the trouble he the was very gentle. It died in a fire. It's like, come on, man. Like, I mean, yes, I get it, but we just like tossed family out like as a story. We just threw it out. We just like completely just just up it goes, like in flames. And there's nothing fun about it. There's like there's almost I can't I can't think of things in generations like that are just plain fun, except maybe oh shit. Um, or again in the abstract, the crash sequence. But other than that, it's like it's not a fun movie. It's not a zippy movie. Um, it's got a it's got a real problem with momentum. The the dialogue is just incredibly like, and for Ron, especially who I think like, look, I think the world of Ron Moore. And I think that Brannon actually like at its best is, is quite an excellent writer, but you know, the, that wasn't like, you know, their best outing in terms of just how these characters spoke
0: to each other and what they had to say. But I'll defend them; they were given a thankless. Oh, death. of course. I mean, the I mean, studio notes, were. and then everybody breathing down their neck, and it's then still having good, to write all good things. Feature and, and look at all good things. Look how good all good things is. They wrote <laughs> That's a what I mean. It's
2: like it's is all good things is, is terrific. It's like it is everything. The generations is not all good things. Look, if all good things were the movie, I would be sitting here telling you, oh yeah, the whale movie compared to like all good things. Sucks whale ass, you know what I'm saying like just that's it's not the question it's just that if if all else fails, right I think your movie needs to be fun um and in some way, I don't mean like light of everything needs to be funny. I just mean that it needs to be engaging um and Oof. and, and <laughs> in a file yeah, and generations just kind of <laughs> happened in a way um. It's just, it oddly just, it's oddly inert. And and things are like, tend to be um, a step removed. So a planet gets destroyed. Well, that's scary and weird, except we don't know anybody on it. And it doesn't work like Alderon because like, that's not anybody's home. Um, or... You know, Picard
0: is relating. But we can't. Okay, I just stop you right there. Sure. We care about Alderaan too because Leia is from there. That's and what her I mean, parents are in there. Said. So we're in, yeah. yeah. So we're invested. Right. It's her home.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Yes, okay. Sorry. And
0: I, I, I when Picard is telling the story
2: of what happened, he's talking about a thing that happened to characters that we haven't seen in the context of the film. We do not know.
1: Yeah, and and, and if so, we haven't seen the show, we have no idea what he's freaking talking about. That's right. It just sort of it's there, and the entire
2: scene, if you have any reaction to it at all, completely depends on Patrick Stewart's ability to effectively read the phone mode. And cool, because sometimes scenes have to work that way. But like, it's actually not a good scene. Like, and you could, you could cut it because it, when you get to the nexus, it's like I guess it kind of sets it up. But it doesn't. It's like it's just this ham fisted way of kind of getting into, the, getting into the theme. Picard doesn't need a, a child. Either. Picard is like Kirk, right? Like, what's, what's it like in Star Trek 5 My God, like, you know, men like us, we don't have family. We don't have,
1: family.
4: you
2: know,
0: it's, and
2: Picard is like that. Picard has a family. Isn't that the goddamn point?
0: Yeah, the Enterprise <laughs> crew is his family.
2: That's right. That is the point of the end of all good things. You are always
1: welcome. Yeah. That's the point. Here's the thing about that scene of him crying about his the loss of the, the boy and his brother. Picard would have been completely cold to it because he's been through so much shit with the Borg and everything. He's been responsible for uh, killing all those, uh, you know, all the people at uh, Wolf 359 or whatever. Uh, but um, he would be unemotional about it. Until his crew uh, intervenes, his crew would see that he's not affected by
0: this, and Troy, we give some, Troy something uh, to do.
1: Yes, and Troy, you know, Troy or or even Riker could pull him out of it and make him realize that he is human being. Um, but it isn't. Instead, he's just he's just crying, you know, for no apparent reason to the audience. And it's, it's,
4: yeah. This like is the say, beginning
0: of tr- crying in Star Trek. Well,
4: there's no crying in Star Trek. <laughs> well, no, no there is. I, I mean, I will say, like, I think, I always try to think about, like, when people watch who've never, like, were first exposed to Star Trek, if they see this movie, like, what do they walk away with feeling? What do they know about Picard? And I think it's, it is strange that when the first 10 minutes that you meet Picard, he yells at Riker to take care of it, and then he cries, which is, I think, is just a bananas way to introduce the lead of the franchise for the next, you know, hopefully five, six movies. But that Uh,
0: explains why on first contact, he was such a prima donna and so worried about like, I have to be the man of action. I have to be the guy who fights the Borg. I'm not going down to the planet. I have to fire a gun. I have to do all this stuff because he was completely Emasculated in generations. You know, he was shown up by Kirk. You know, all he did was mope around and yell at people. He didn't get to be the quote unquote, you know, they, the hero. He didn't get the you know the classic hero role, and he knew it. He knew it, was it. and incredibly that's incredibly unfair to him. It was. It was unfair to put him in that situation yeah. because you see it. And again, I'll come to the scene. And if you guys at home want to watch this again, you should look at it. It's the scene where he's walking around the launcher and. He's getting all these shifty looks from Malcolm, and he's just daintily throwing pebbles at the deflector shield and walking around and talking to him and trying to figure out. And and it's not active. He's not being proactive. I mean, he's throwing pebbles. You know, there was a time when I wouldn't
3: hurt a fly. Then the Borg came. And they showed me that if there is one constant in this whole universe, it's death. Afterwards, I began to realize it didn't really matter. We're all going to die sometime. Just a question of how and when. You will too, Captain. Aren't you beginning to feel time gaining on you? It's like a predator. It's stalking you. Oh, you can try and outrun it with doctors, medicines, new technologies. But in the end, time is going to hunt you down and make the kill. It's our mortality that defines us, Soarin. It's part of the truth of our existence. What if I told you I found a new truth?
0: The Nexus? Time has no meaning there. The Predator has no teeth. I mean, the captain of the Enterprise, Captain Picard, who we followed for seven years, who's this badass, you know, smart, capable captain, is walking around for 10 minutes, drawing pebbles and going, Sauron, you really should do this. We'll find another way to get you into the Nexus. I was like, come on.
1: I mean, certainly they could have beamed him into the Nexus.
4: <laughs> I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. But anyway, what what are your thoughts on Malcolm McDowell in terms of? I'm just curious. You guys, do you? Do you like- I think
2: Doctor Bashir's uncle, yeah. um, and uh, the the star of Time After Time and A Clockwork Orange, is a goddamn amazing actor. Yep. And I love the way he says, time is the fire in which we burn.
4: That's great for you, for you kids listening at home. That's a good yearbook quote. Put that up on your... your <laughs> yeah, but goes
0: on this,
4: time, time is like a predator that's
0: constantly stalking us. And then they, they do a callback at the end. Wait, apparently that's his big revelation, Picard. Aren't you beginning to feel time gaining on you?
3: It's like a predator. It's stalking
0: well you know i understand now about time and i and it's it's like a predator but you know i can out i can't outrun it well you know it's because like this so, is harsh, big, so harsh so harsh it's it's
2: <laughs> no. but malcolm mcdowell i love, love Malcolm, malcolm McDowell. Are mcdowell are you kidding i was who so doesn't
4: love malcolm i mean the context of, of of soren like him being the villain no he's, what, he's, he's, he's terrible
0: <laughs> he, he's terrible in the movie and and we love Aaron. him in Clockwork Orange, brilliant. We love him Time in everything. Time, even milk great money. for great. I loved out him in Entourage. I mean, he's so <laughs> yes. great. And 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 uh, but he's not good in this movie. He's a mustache twirling villain. I sure. mean, this is the this at least Khan was a nuanced villain. I mean, this this is you know uh, he's better. He's not as good as even Crooge. I mean, and we don't like Crooge, but uh, but he's not. Uh, I mean, you know, he's, he's not it's good. Not, he's not used well you know he came in and he read what was he did what was on the page and he did yeah. it he he played the a villain but you know yeah. the thing is his plot is not dastardly he's not trying to destroy the earth or take over so it's really like he lost his family to the borg and he's trying to get back. He's, he's obsessed. It's almost like Moby Dick, right? So he shouldn't be a mustache swirling villain. We should have a little bit more empathy for yes, him. Yes,
2: exactly. That's right. 100%. You just nailed it, my man. Like, and I didn't even think about that until this moment. Cause I don't know that I was moved to think about it until this moment. Um, but I think that's right. That this is a guy who should be tragic, right? It's um, and in in, a, and in in the most star trekian sense if if he is the villain who is driven by this loss by this tragedy who's trying to do this thing right where he experienced like this like this, this horrible event his family being ripped away from him um, and the the cost of that is that he has lost his ability to empathize with these costs to others Right. And if the solution to that, number one, making him a mustache twirling villain who says like crazy mustache twirling villain shit, like his heart just wasn't in it, like is runs against that type. Number one, number two, you do not defeat that guy in a fist fight, like not in Star Trek, in Star Trek, that guy is not fist fight defeat guy. He is, like, the one that has to be made to see, like, the inherent logical error, you know, of his plan. Or that outfought what he and wants. outplayed. That's Here's right. Outfought. That's Here's right. That's right. Outplayed, not outfought. And because
1: it's better to talk him into that than, like, James T. Kirk? Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Here's the solution. Wow. Go James ahead. T. Kirk crashes and saves the crew of the Enterprise-D. Okay. Right. Uh-huh. Word. Picard should have figured out a way to to transport Soren into the Nexus and then mm-hmm. shut off his missile. Yeah, exactly. The fist fight was goddamn unnecessary. It, like, it's completely unnecessary.
0: Yeah. but and, Remember, there's
1: is the, the, Soren Soren, as goofy and evil as he is, he deserved a chance to get back into the Nexus.
0: Yeah, and that's why his really scenes did. with Lursa and Bator are ridiculous, because yeah, yeah. instead it goes from being this guy who's just desperate to go back and be reunited with his family, which is something you can understand. He's lost his entire family. He yeah. just wants to be with them again, right? But instead, he, he's uh, with Lursa and Bator, I'll get you the Trilithium, my eyes, my honeys, and you'll be able to take over the Klingon Empire again, and I will be back in the Nexus. <laughs> you know, and it's like, what? It's like, but now all of a sudden he's a villain. So, like, is he somebody we should care about, or is he just a villain? Because, like, the scenes with him and Larsa Bator, it's like, I don't care about that Johnny. His heart just wasn't in it. <laughs> but, right. you know,
2: it's, it's like... It's a, to me, it demonstrates a fundamental misunderstanding. And, boy, we're about to open up a whole can of fucking worms. But um, it, it demonstrates a fundamental misunderstanding of Khan as a villain, Right. right. So what Khan always presents outwardly as his motivation for revenge is like the, the, the death of his beloved Marla MacGyvers. But the truth is, that's all kind of, it's maybe true on some level, but it's also kind of bullshit. Um, because what we know about Khan is that Khan ultimately is... a narcissist. He's an egomaniac read for superior ambition. That's right. And all of that is just, it's an, it's an excuse, right? Like it is just his, it's his stated reason for behaving the way that he does. Like it may fuel his rage, but the truth of the matter is that he is fueled by something else. And what they gave Sauron was like, okay, here's like um, a thing that kind of sets up like why he needs to do this fakakta plan. Way well, to go, Ashley.
0: A... That's a great use of fakakta. I've Thank done you. it. I've done it. <laughs> I've done my, my job here. It's done. You should put that like in the, in the blurb for the episode. And also. <laughs> Ashley, Ashley not the word fakakta. That may be the only time Ashley has used Yiddish on the, uh, on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. First, I like an Annie.
2: First, I like Annie Hall. And now. Like, I know. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> to forget honorary tricks, but you're going to be an honorary juice. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, um, but you know what I mean it's like it, it just it, it, all of those things that that we understand about Soren only serve him as as functions of plot rather than becoming a, a thing that informs character and it was to try to get to oh of course you know it's like he wants to do the thing and he'll do anything to get it well okay cool have him do anything to get it but if we really want us to buy into his his tragic origin um, and feel like that's, that's meaningful and that that has any thematic resonance at all, then I, I think at some point you have to hold a mirror up. And you're talking about Jean-Luc Picard and James T. Kirk. And never in the history of anything have there been two characters better at holding up mirrors yeah.
0: to their opponents yeah. and saying, look at yourself. Absolutely. Look at what you've become. And then you think lie. that they were going to end it with Kirk getting shot in the back. I mean, who, how anyone ever thought that was a good They needed a test audience to tell them that was a bad idea. You know, this iconic character who up it with 30 something years uh, uh, at that time, you know, beloved character, and, and oh, we'll shoot him in the back. Won't that be surprising? Yeah. Sure. I mean, I feel bad because I'm like beating is so up tough. on Brian. It's
2: like, just and I don't like
0: it. No, I don't like it either because Brian is a lovely guy. he has a great <laughs> point. He loves this movie. He's gonna go on loving this and movie. And I don't wanna yuck his yum. He's gonna <laughs> go well, on hurting no, us.
4: And I mean, again, I I I, I never propose that this movie is perfect by any means. And and I I see you all make valid points for sure. And I and I think the 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 fatal flaw of the film is it never quite connects the dots of all the emotional math it wants to do. But yes, you can yes. sort of see it if you squint, and you can you you sort but of you it makes those
2: like for attempting what? the math, right? Yeah. It's like I, that part yeah.
4: I get. Like so I think that, I think that's why it, it, it like I forgive a lot of the sins is because I can sort of see that math, and yeah. then added with my just affinity for seeing you know TNG on the big screen, it just feels bigger than it is. Again, it's greater than the whole. That the, the parts is greater than the whole because of that. So it's right. It, it, again, it's. It's valid true. points as far as, far as sword and, and the ribbon not making sense. But I think, you know, for uh, considering the constraints they ran, I think I added all those things together. I just I just have a soft spot for this movie. Oh, that's great. Look, and um, look, that, and that's why we had you on,
0: because who wants to hear us just bam, talking about why this <laughs> movie is? It's great that someone could come and extol, much like many of you out there, you know, why they love this movie, why it's special for them. And um, and you know, see the first time their beloved next generation crew is on the big screen, and um, it's great. I mean, I just believe
1: me when when I get to talk about Star Trek Five, I'm <laughs> going to be bashed too. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, I mean, I just I just wish the last time we saw Picard was at the end of all good things. very you know, satisfying uh, I wrap up Fox. for that character. So, um, but this is. Um, this is great. By the way, have you guys got this? The tiny TV. Um, it, it plays Star Trek clips. It's called Tiny TV. It's called Tiny this? TV. I, uh, tiny. I Tiny. I know because Darren TV. got my son a Batman one. I got myself a Star Trek one. That's tiny amazing. One. It's, it's really cool. Is that a TV for ants? Yes, it is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like How are you supposed is- to get in the door? I like to think that this is the TV that Baylock has in his chamber. That's right. <laughs> that's like, right. It's, the that, it's the
0: one that Captain uh, Pike has in his uh in his uh, right. quarters because they have a big oh, 19 How age. cool
1: would it to be to build Captain Pike's cabinet around that. That would be that's a little project for you do it yourself.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay, well listen. First of all, we want to thank we want to thank Brian. Uh you were a really good sport. It was so great having you on the show. For we'll sure. have to have you uh back over to talk about something we all agree on.
4: Um <laughs> By the way, before I forget, it's been, ever since you brought it up, casting gr. Unfortunately, he's late. You know, not late, not longer with us. But I think Philip Seymour Hoffman would be a good CG. But that doesn't help if they're dead. I know. I'm just, if we're going to do, <laughs> do CG, I'm just saying that there some... I mean, that's we're talking about.
0: You know, we're going to do CG. We'll do the real gr. We don't need to go <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, uh, um, uh, done as Gene Roddenberry CG. It's like let's just go to Gene, right? Okay. But if you can think of an actor who's sure. actually with us. Sure, I know. <laughs> hey,
4: look, <laughs> I, got, I, I got to get Man halfway Man. there. He'll Kelsey be in the Nexus Grammer. somewhere And you can pull him out of the Nexus and, you know, all that stuff.
0: I mean, you know, Jane was such a large and life character. It's going to yeah. be hard to find somebody. You know who could do it? Michael Chiklis. Jeffrey Wright.
1: Yeah, probably. Michael, Michael Chik-
0: Chiklis actually could do it. Michael Chiklis could do it. I would. I would see him as. Uh, of course,
1: they, there was a project that was that was in development for a while where Brendan Fraser was going to be Gene Roddenberry. Yeah, they um, were trying to do the making of
0: uh, making of TOS, TOS, or something like that. Yeah. I remember hearing about that uh, a while ago.
1: I don't really know how that would have gone, but you know, they, that's the thing. There aren't a lot of good quote character actors anymore. Right. There are very very few. And uh, they're all of a specific sort of uh, look. And uh, Gene Roddenberry was one of a kind. Absolutely.
0: I mean, you know, and then you got to cast. You the have to get them. Joaquin Phoenix to just commit look, to the role. You know what, uh, Brian, you, you come up with a great idea for a future show. We're going to cast the fake TV movie about we're going to do the offer, but with Star Trek. And we're going to cast Roddenberry, DC, um, Gene Coon, um, Chatner, Leonard. D, we're going to do it all. We're, we're going to do Harold Livingston. And ha- Harold Livingston. Well, I don't know if we're going to do the motion picture. Let's start with the original series. The motion picture is more interesting, though. Okay, we'll do the motion picture. We'll cast Harold Livingston. More interesting. We'll cast yeah. Harold Livingston. That'll be fun. I got to think about that one. <laughs> uh, I got. Th- I will find somebody. And and you got Jeff Katzenberg in there. Oh, Holy yeah. Cow. Yeah, and Charlie Bluehorn the same guy who played on The Offer, can come back That's right. for uh, the motion picture. And we'll call it The Comparison. No, no. The human Where adventure. It? No. Keep it. <laughs> I'll keep I'll keep working on this one. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't cracked it yet. I haven't cracked the story yet. Um Called rebirth. No, that's not got, the, the offer, at least, is a good title, right? No, it's a great title. So we need something like that for this motion picture movie of something ours. Something good. This MOW. Something honorable. Just like TMP. It'd be an MOW. Sleeping the bird. The no. bird. The bird. No, that's confusing. <laughs> People go on, you know, Apple TV and they'll see the bird, the birds. What? Bird. What? I'm confused. The bird is the word. I don't get it. The bird man of. No. <laughs> the Birdman of Star Trek. That's right. The bird man of Melrose Avenue. How about that?
2: Uh, back to the return to the Valley of the Dolls.
0: No. OK, listen, Brian. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. It was great to have you on the, on the show. And I'm so nice. glad that you came to us. You know, And this is not an invitation for the rest of you to come to us and say, oh, can I be on the books?" No, because the answer is no. Okay, we, we, we will approach you if we're interested. We're not, we don't want you to invite yourselves. So, uh, but Brian was different because Brian's a big fan. And I know Brian. I like Brian. So uh, we're happy to have him on the show. And Arrow is a great show. And he's a very talented, talented writer. So uh,
4: thank you.
0: Yeah. yeah. So so it's okay. So you. so again. Um, <laughs> so anyway, we want to thank Mark Rivera and Bill Ritter. Make it sound so great, um, um, even on this episode, and uh, of course, um, uh, Peter Holmstrom, our producer and archivist, uh, now in Miscali. We want to encourage you all of you to tell us what huge fans you are of Generations and how we how hor- how horrible it
4: was how horrible we, we were, are uh, how
0: horrible we were how mean we were to uh, Brian we're on up on Inglorious <laughs> Trek on Twitter Inglorious Trek experts at um uh, Instagram and of course on the Facebook as well and if you're no longer on Twitter for some reason because of Elon Musk, well, I don't know what to tell you we're still there
1: Elon Elon of Troyes? a lot of a Tro- lot of, of Twitter
0: <laughs> 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 and uh and uh, that's uh, that's really about it because I'm done talking about generations i i I, I gotta say I uh, I've had enough. Of I this gave time. I gave up my uh, my Saturday night to watch uh, watch watch it last night to re- refresh my memory, and that's two hours I can't get back.
2: So uh, unless you go into the nexus, which can take you to any point in time,
0: well, it is like space. being wrapped in joy. Um, but uh, Brian, where can people follow you on the uh, on the inst- interwebs?
4: Sure, it's just uh, at Brian Forsell. So my my initials Brian Forsell, Well, and you know I tweet every three months, so it'll be exciting for them.
0: Well, I'm sure you want to see what they're saying. They're saying. Oh, no, of course. Yes. Poor I, I, Brian.
4: He okay. got let's... it right.
0: You guys are nasty, nasty, nasty. Um, We're okay. definitely gatekeepers. Apparently. apparently. Look, I, and what do we say? This show is about celebrating the love. We are celebrating. We're celebrating Brian's love for <laughs> generations. That's right. We're celebrating it. And, we wouldn't And have done our love
1: yet. for not liking
0: Generation. That's, That's right. we're celebrating our love for We're all united
2: in loving Star Trek, aren't we? That's correct. Absolutely.
0: Correct. Or we wouldn't do... How many episodes of the show have we done now? A lot. A lot. A, A buttload. A lot. Anyway, but uh, okay, well, look, thank you guys, and uh, until next time, on behalf of Brian, Ashley, Darren Docterman, and myself, Mark A. Altman, I invite you to join us at the American Cinematheque on Saturday, the 7th, the 7th, that's tomorrow, if you're listening to it on Friday, um, at 3 o'clock, where special guests, Walter kane he played Chekhov in the original Star Trek, as well as um, in Star Trek Two And he, Generations. And Generations. <laughs> we well, to ask him about that. <laughs> and, uh, and Eddie Egan, the unit publicist, is making a rare, rare appearance Um he didn't want to do it, but I begged him and I begged him and I begged him. And he finally said yes, because he's a guy who likes to be behind the scenes and not in front. He felt like it was. Uh...
1: They called me. They begged me. I to did. I begged again. him. I said,
0: listen, we've heard all these stories a million times. I said, you got some great stories people have only heard once or twice. So let's uh, let's come on down. And he said, I said, it's the 40th anniversary It's never going to come again. So if you want, we're going to be at the American Cinematheque, Darren and I. Uh, talking about Star Trek 2, a movie we can all agree we love, right, Brian? Yes, yes,
2: yes. Okay. <laughs> yes and yes. so,
0: until next, uh, next, uh, hopefully tomorrow, Saturday, or on the next episode next Friday of Inglorious Truck experts uh, keep on trucking, Ingloriously, of course.